Paul calls the people of Corinth to his personal ministry. This is a very interesting time to study 1 Corinthians chapter 9. Good morning, good afternoon, good evening, wherever you are. My name is Rod Hembry. And I'm Janice. And this is a program taking you through the Bible. We're doing that as we look at 1 Corinthians chapter 9. Fascinating study today. Corey and Ryan are here. Corey. I'm going to be taking a look at the city of Corinth. Uh, you know, this is where the people lived, whom Paul was writing to. So more on that later, right? Well, here's a good question for us. Is it okay for believers in Christ to marry unbelievers? Well, Paul apparently says yes, according to 1 Corinthians 7, but no, according to 2 Corinthians 6. So which is it? All right, very good. <laughs> very good questions coming up in the next half hour. Janice, what are you doing? Are there things in our life that we let get in the way? Well, we need to study today. Take out your Bible guide, turn to today's passage, and let's open up to 1 Corinthians 9. Look at the first 14 verses. First Corinthians 9, verses 1 through 14. Am I not an apostle? Am I not free? Have I not seen Jesus Christ our Lord? Are you not my work in the Lord? If I am not an apostle to others, yet doubtless I am to you, for you are the seal of my apostleship in the Lord. My defense to those who examine me is this, do we have no right to eat and drink? Do we have no right to take along a believing wife as do also the other apostles, the brothers of the Lord and Cephas? Or is it only Barnabas and I who have no right to refrain from working? Whoever goes to war at his own expense? Who plants a vineyard and does not eat of its fruit? Or who tends a flock and does not drink of the milk of the flock. Do I say these things as a mere man? Or does not the law say the same also? For it is written in the law of Moses, you shall not muzzle an ox while it treads out the grain. Is it oxen God is concerned about? Or does he say it altogether for our sakes? For our sakes, no doubt, this is written, that he who plows should plow in hope, and he who threshes in hope should be partaker of his hope. If we have sown spiritual things for you, is it a great thing if we reap your material things? If others are partakers of this right over you, are we not even more? Nevertheless, we have not used this right, but endure all things, lest we hinder the gospel of Christ. Do you not know that those who minister the holy things eat of the things of the temple, and those who serve at the altar partake of the offerings of the altar? Even so, the Lord has commanded that those who preach the gospel should live from the gospel. 1 Corinthians chapter 9 verses 1 through 14. 1 Corinthians 7 through 9. That's our reading today as we continue to go through the Bible in one year. And it's interesting. There are many, many in the church today who challenge the idea 
of full-time ministers taking offerings to live from their work. Many in the church at Corinth also protested the same thing. Yet Paul not only defends this practice, but challenges the people who think that way. God has made his gospel work, make it alive, and make it powerful. Now we should be willing and able to support the work of the Lord as we love the Lord. We never have a right of refusal if we love the Lord for giving or giving offerings or tithes. In fact, to not give tithe and offering is to do his work no more. So God's word claims that there is a position for full-time study, ministry, and prayer dedicated to teaching his word, teaching his will, and teaching his way. When we read passages like 1 Corinthians 9, we begin to understand how we can help. The Lord has called everyone everywhere to contribute to his work around the world. And many people mess that up. Many people get that confused. I want to tell you, beloved, we should not get that confused, but so many people do, and they take advantage of this provision that the Holy Spirit has put in place. But the Holy Spirit always gets the will of God done. Now, we need to keep that in mind. Today, we're talking living from the gospel from 1 Corinthians chapter 9, verses 1 to 14. Take your Bible guide if you have it. If you don't, why not? Write to me or call me or go to BibleDiscoveryTV.com and get your Bible guide there. When you click on it, it'll take you to a donate page. Let me just say thank you so much for your donations. They mean a lot to us. They really do. So thank you for that. There's no other way of support that we have here. We're not supported by any other way. It's just the giving of people. And we're here because of people like you who've chosen to give. So thank you for that. And then it'll take you to a page where you can download it as we have printed it. And you'll see there's much more there than what we are talking about today. But for the next six minutes, let's discuss this from 1 Corinthians 9, 1 to 14. Father, I pray today in the name of Jesus Christ that you would help us through the power of your Holy Spirit to know exactly what we do and how we do it with it when it comes to God's word. Teach us your way and show us your path as Paul explained it that way to the church at Corinth in Jesus' name. And we said together, amen. Now, listen carefully to Paul's emotion. Listen carefully what Paul says because he's talking and he says, am I not an apostle? Am I not free? Have I lost or have I not seen Jesus Christ our Lord? Are you not my work in the Lord? Are you not my work in the Lord? If I am not an apostle to others, yet doubtless I am to you, for you are the seal of my apostleship in the Lord. You are the seal. Now with that, we come to the first point, and that is this. Paul identifies the people at Corinth as the result of his call to ministry. Paul identifies the people at Corinth as a result of his call to ministry. We are all called to make our impact on the world. And my question is simple. Have you? Have you made your impact? God saves us for a reason, beloved. God has come and said to us, 
I want to save you. I want to redeem your life to deliver you from your destination. So we repent and we give our lives to Christ. But that's not the end of it. That's the beginning. There's a new beginning for our life. It's like being reborn or born again, as he told Nicodemus. We are born again to a new life and we need to learn to grow in that life. And by growing, read your Bible, praying and sharing what Jesus Christ has done in your life. God will show you as you grow. Very, very important. Let's read on because this gets very interesting. Verse three, my defense to those who examine me is this. Do we have no right to eat and drink? Do we have no right to take along a believing wife as do the other apostles, the brothers of the Lord and Cephas? Or is it only Barnabas and I who have no right to refrain from working. Whoever goes to war with that at his own expense, who plants a vineyard and does not eat its fruit, or who tends a flock and does not drink of the milk of the flock? Now, these are obvious questions. You see, Paul teaches here to the Corinthian church that ministers have a God-given right to live on the work of the Lord. Ministers of God have a God-given right to live on the work of the Lord. Very important, ministers of God. The Holy Spirit continues the work of Jesus Christ, and we should support it, beloved. We should support the work of Jesus Christ because that's what the Holy Spirit has called us to do. And the Holy Spirit does things, grows churches, develops ways to reach people in work, in rest, in play. Wherever we go, we are taking Jesus Christ with us because Jesus Christ lives inside of us. And so, beloved, we are transformed. Our lives are transformed and people around us see them. And that's what Paul's saying. He's saying this is the work of God and we should support it. Now we go to 9 verses 8 through 14. He says, do I say these things as a mere man or does not the law say the same also? Verse 9 says, for it is written in the law of Moses, you shall not muzzle an ox while it treads out the grain. It, it is an oxen, an oxen. God, is he concerned about it? Is it the oxen he's concerned about? Or does he say it altogether for our sake? For our sake, no doubt, this is written that he who plows should plow in hope and he who threshes in hope should be a partaker of his hope. If we have sown spiritual things for you, it is a great thing if altogether for our sake and for the sakes of others, we reap your material things. If others are partakers of this right over you, are we not even more? Nevertheless, we have not used this right, but endure all things lest we hinder the gospel of Christ. Do you not know that those who minister the holy things eat the things of the temple and those who serve at the altar partake in the offerings of the altar. Even so, the Lord has commanded those who preach the gospel that they should live from the faith of the gospel. Do you understand what this means? Paul says that those who preach the gospel should live from the gospel. We must not let, it, let the gospel be neglected, but we must support it because it is the gospel that we are preaching as, ma as ministers and pastors. Let me tell you, and I want to be clear about this. 
You should support your pastor. You should support your church. You should support the things and the places and the ministries around you that bring you the word of God because it is getting harder and harder to do so. So we praise God and Father, thank you for this opportunity. Help us to learn to support. In the name of Jesus Christ, and we said together, amen. Hi, Rod Hembry. We go through the Bible in one year. It's exciting. It's great. And you can join us by searching Bible Discovery TV on your phone. That's right, on your phone, your iPhone or your Android phone. And when you do so, you'll find the app. You can download the app and watch it anytime you want. Never miss a program right here on Bible Discovery TV. We'll see you there. As we continue to read in the New Testament book of 1 Corinthians, I wanted to take some time to focus in on the city of Corinth itself. It has a really interesting and long history, not only in the Roman Empire, but also its, its Greek history is also really interesting. And we know that the Apostle Paul would have been very familiar with the city of Corinth because he spent quite a bit of time there. So he not only knew the people that he was writing to, he knew the city itself really well. And we can see that coming across in his writing and some of the analogies that he chose to use. Take a look. The book of Acts lets us know that Paul stayed at the city of Corinth for a year and a half, despite the average one to two month stay he would have held to, to account for all the cities on his travel list. Paul also wrote at least three letters to the Christian church at Corinth, represented by 1st and 2nd Corinthians. When looking at ancient Corinth, it becomes easy to see why it would have been a good place for Paul to hunker down and teach. Corinth was made a Roman colony by Julius Caesar in 44 BC. The influx of imperial money and construction that brought with it ensured the city would prosper. Settlers were brought to Corinth to kickstart its new economy and political purpose, but due to most of them being freed slaves and from poorer segments of the empire's population, they drew criticism from the more elite Roman citizenry. Despite this criticism, Corinth quickly grew into a large, prosperous Roman colony and was made the capital of the Roman province of Achaia. Interestingly, in Acts 18, we're told that near the end of his time in Corinth, Paul was brought before the Roman governor Gallio. It's known that Lucius Junius Gallio arrived as proconsul in the summer of 51 AD, giving us a starting time of Paul's stay around the beginning of 50 AD. Corinth was so important to the Roman Empire because of its strategic location. It controlled land and sea trade routes. At Corinth, there was a three-mile stretch of land separating the Aegean and Adriatic Seas. A specialized road with wooden cars were built that could pull smaller ships across the land, or the cargo of larger ships, saving them a 200-mile sea journey around the peninsula. Corinth also housed a large temple to the god of healing. Sick pilgrims would travel from all around so they could go to the temple to bathe, dine, exercise, and stay waiting for healing. 
In Paul's time, Corinth was also responsible for the great Isthmian Games, sporting competitions held every two years in honor of the sea god and by his shrine about 10 miles from the city. The massive arrival of athletes and spectators brought what they still do to this day, money and unfortunately, prostitution. At Corinth, Paul could preach to travelers, sailors and merchants who could then spread the gospel far and wide. Thanks to the city's well-connected location, he could send missionaries and letters quickly. The Isthmian Games created a thriving market for Paul's tent-making profession to financially support himself, and it would have opened evangelistic opportunities to preach to the crowds. Corinth's bustling life gained it a reputation for outrageous immorality. Travelers and revelers grew the city's seedy underbelly and the population kept it going. Paul's emphasis on outstanding moral living reflects this. If Gentile Christianity could thrive here in the most immoral of places, then it could thrive anywhere. You know, there is a lot that can be said for Paul knowing the area and this appearing in the books of First and Second Corinthians. Uh, if you have a really good Bible commentary and, and you're reading through, you'll see, you know, when he mentions looking into a mirror, how Corinth was known for its unique bronze and the bronze mirrors that were produced coming out of Corinth. So there's a lot of different analogies that Paul uses, and it appears that he specifically chose them when writing to the Corinthians because they would have... Uh, understood them. They would have had personal experience with them. Um, you know, another one, when Paul talks about building on the foundation that he laid and building well, we know that when Paul would have been visiting Corinth, it was going through renovations at that time. When you look at the history of Acts and you look at Roman history and the way that the timing corresponds, so that also building well and renovating well would have been a really good analogy for Paul to use because the people were living through these grand renovations to these public Roman buildings. It's very interesting because Paul, he's in these places and he talks about them, but he also says, I'm praying for you. And we're doing a special on prayer very soon. We are. And that's November 26th. Tell us about yes. it. Yes. Okay. So Friday, November 26th at night. So 7 to 9 p.m. Uh, Eastern time. Uh, we will be here and we're going to be discussing prayer, worship, and warfare. So all things prayer. We're going to be talking about it a little bit, but we're also going to be taking your questions. It's a live event. If you happen to be a part of Church 365, you'll be getting a special link. If you're not a part of Church 365, please still join us on the Bible Discovery TV YouTube channel or Facebook page. You can uh, comment there and we will respond real time to your questions and comments. Yeah, we're looking forward to that. That'll be a, a I mean, prayer is a very, very interesting subject. And a it lot is. of people, uh, you know, today, these days, a lot of people have had time, but they don't know how to pray and all mm -hmm. of it. So we'll talk about that and much more. And of course, we don't have all of the answers, do we? No. We don't have the answers, yeah. but we're going we're to be talk about deeply looking Bible, into it. Mm -hmm. What the Bible says and just figure out from there. So very good. Ryan. Yeah, well, today my study is on both 1 Corinthians chapter 7 and 2 Corinthians chapter 6. And that's because some Bible skeptics have claimed that Paul actually contradicted himself here regarding marriage. And the specific question is this, is it okay for believers in Christ to marry unbelievers? Well, Paul says no in 2 Corinthians chapter 6, verses 14 to 17, but earlier he seems to have said yes in 1 Corinthians chapter 7, verses 12 to 14. Now, how can we resolve this, dis this discrepancy? Well, let's study.
Does the Bible, a book which claims over 3,000 times to be God's word, really contain errors and inconsistencies as cynics suppose? Or is it the cynic who is actually in error? Consider the accusation brought against the Apostle Paul that he contradicted himself regarding marriage. Specifically, is it okay for believers to marry unbelievers? Apparently yes, according to 1 Corinthians 7, 12-14, but no, according to 2 Corinthians 6, 14-17. Paul indeed does explicitly teach in 2 Corinthians 6 that believers are not to be unequally yoked together with unbelievers, a command which actually refers to more than just marriage, though marriage as the ultimate yoking together is certainly counted here as well. But to claim that 1 Corinthians 7 undermines that clear teaching reveals that the cynic has not read that passage carefully. For if he did, he would have realized that this was not the issue Paul was addressing here. Rather, 1 Corinthians 7, 12-14 describes a situation where a Christian is currently already married to a non-Christian. Perhaps this is because the Christian sinned, wittingly or unwittingly, and violated 2 Corinthians 6, 14-17. Or perhaps the person became a Christian after having already been married. Either way, the Bible indicates that it is not appropriate for the two to divorce, as long as the unbeliever consents to stay with the believer. The unsaved spouse might perhaps initiate the separation, but the Christian husband is not to send away his unconverted wife, nor is the Christian wife to leave her unbelieving husband. Thus, according to Paul and the Bible as a whole, it is always considered a sin for a Christian to marry a non-Christian and there are no passages which teach otherwise. Therefore, it is not the Bible, but the Bible Synod who is aired here. So it's pretty easy to see that there's absolutely no contradiction in Paul's teaching. According to the Apostle, it seems it's always considered a sin for a Christian to marry a non-Christian, and there are no passages that teach otherwise. As our study revealed, the 1 Corinthians 7 passage wasn't even speaking to that issue, it was actually talking about those Christians who were already married to unbelievers. They're two totally different situations. Yeah, and you know, it's important to remember that because I marry and bury people as a pastor. And one of the things that's, that is important is when you marry somebody, somebody wants to get married, they think it's their idea and it's great and all of that. Marriage is an illustration of what God does in our life. And the marriage is three. It's the husband, the wife, and of course, God. God is the third person, and, and the three come together like that. Now, we've been married 40 years. We have. You still like me? Mm-hmm. <laughs> okay, I think that's pretty good. That's the grace of God right there. All right, very good. So anyway, uh, that's very interesting, and they're two different situations. They are, yeah. You have to be careful. There's a lot of uh, times in the Bible uh, where it seems like there's a contradiction at first, but when you start to get into the specific situations, you realize, wait a minute. These are two totally different situations. It happens a lot with uh, Jesus, too. Sometimes he's talking to the Pharisees and Sadducees. Other mm -hmm. times he's talking to a different group of people. So you really got to be careful. Context is really key. Yeah, that really is key. And that's a big part of the context is knowing exactly what he, who he's talking to. Mm -hmm. uh, that's very, very important. One of the keys to understanding the Bible. Janice? Well, this chapter, 1 Corinthians chapter 9, the first part anyway, uh, Paul is really talking about a self-denial in order to put the gospel message out there. And he has some that are coming against him um, saying that he shouldn't be receiving a wage. And Paul uses a lesser to greater argument to support his right to a living wage. But to those who Paul told that the church did not support him, Paul said that he had yielded this right of a wage so he would not hinder the gospel of Christ. 
Here's the verse. If others are partakers of this right over we, are we not even more? Nevertheless, Paul says, we have not used this right, but endure all things lest we hinder the gospel of Christ. And it got me to thinking, what are the things in my life that may be hindering me from proclaiming the gospel of Christ or doing those things that God is calling me to do in my service to him as he is my Lord and my savior? What is my response to him? And I found a, a, a really neat little songbook in my office, Rod, that I forgot that I had. And there's a song in here written by Elton M. Roth, and it's very, very tiny print. So I'm going to hold it back here, even with my glasses, and hold it just right. But it's called Joyfully Serving the King. Listen to these words. Joyfully, joyfully, onward we tread, safely and surely, by Jesus we're led. Where he may call us, we'll go without fear. Nothing can harm us when he is so near. Joyfully, joyfully serving the king. Joyfully, joyfully praises we sing. Loyally, loyally striving to do something for Jesus the whole journey through. Joyfully, joyfully laying aside all that may hinder to follow our guide, faithfully serving, glad workers are we, now in life's morning his own we would be. Verse 3, joyfully, joyfully, praises we sing, lifting our voices to Jesus, our King, friend of all others, the dearest and best, those who obey him will surely be blessed. Joyfully, joyfully serving the King, joyfully, joyfully praises we sing. Loyally, loyally striving to do something for Jesus the whole journey through. Uh, what a wonderful song written for those of us who call Jesus our Lord and Master, that we follow Him, that we follow Jesus and that we humbly come to him every day and say, what do you have on the agenda for me today? I have my plans, but what are your plans, Lord? And Let's not let anything hinder us. And there are things that do, so it's good to, to reflect on that. In fact, there are, and we want to encourage everybody who believes in Jesus Christ, who knows the Lord as their savior, to think about those things. Think about the things that God has called us to do. Right now is a very, very critical time for people who are Christians to follow Christ, let me tell you, so that we can say yes to the Lord in every way. I would like you to join me on Monday, Wednesday, or Friday at 3.30 to 4. I would love that, 3.30 to Eastern Standard Time or New York Time. And uh, if you would do that, that would be great. And it's a prayer meeting just for you. But we're gonna pray right now. And let's pray and say, Lord, I want others to know who you are. 
and that you can help them. Help me to tell them and help me to teach them what you've done in my life. In the name of Jesus Christ, this is what we ask.